This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to The Better Buy, a podcast from Better Homes and Gardens. I'm your host, Melanie Berlier. Each week, we talk to experts about the highs and lows of home ownership and share stories, advice, and practical tips you can actually put to work in your own space. In this episode, I'm speaking with Chris Laverne, founder of the Thought Catalog Media Network, a digital agency with a portfolio of websites reaching 25 million monthly readers and a book publishing arm that sells millions of books each year. Chris also oversees Clearing Farm, a real estate company including a nature preserve, creative studios, and a string of rental properties sprawling over 50 acres in upstate New York. Thank you for being here, Chris. Hey, Melanie. I think it's important to explain that we know each other. Chris was actually my boss for several years. And then when I took a new job at Dot Dash Meredith, I ended up employing his services almost immediately. So now he basically works for me. That's not true, but it sounds good. We collaborate in a lot of fun, interesting ways. Many, many interesting ways, most of which intersect with the home space somehow. So can you tell me how old you are these days? I am 34 these days. And how many homes do you own, Chris? Well, I personally own two homes, and then I own a company that has an investment in three homes in upstate New York. So that's five homes at 34. I think it's safe to call you an overachiever at home ownership. Can you tell me about your first home buying experience to start? What was that like? Yeah, my first home buying experience really did start with a pretty massive failure. I was looking to buy a condo in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. And at the time, that market was very up and coming. There were some nice buildings going up and all of that stuff. But you could get a condo for about 400000 bucks in Williamsburg at that time, maybe less. And like a good one, like top of the line, brand new. And I was really far along in the process, but I was really something about $30,000, $40,000 short. And there was just no way to cover that fee. Like I just couldn't bridge it, even trying to get you know some loans from family and friends and all that kind of stuff. It just was too tight. So I missed on that opportunity. And then about two years went by and that apartment was maybe triple the price. So it was almost a million bucks at that point. And seeing <laughs> that movement in the apartment price just made me say, ah, I'm going to throw my hands up. I'm not buying in Williamsburg. It's too hot of a market. And I just, I can't stomach it. So I started to think really creatively about what are the upcoming markets? Where can I go that I can have that same type of growth or at the very least not have the anxiety of such a large mortgage? And that really got me to think in ways that were very different about purchasing a home. So did you immediately shift your focus from Williamsburg in Brooklyn to upstate New York? How did you zero in on the location of your first home purchase? 
Yeah, well, it actually tied in with office space. I was also running an office out of Williamsburg, Brooklyn for my company. And we kept looking at commercial real estate. And there was sort of a similar problem happening. You would spend you know, easily thirty to $50,000 a month to rent an office in New York City. And we were already a very remote company from inception. So the idea of dropping that much money to start an office that you didn't own just didn't sit right with me either. And again, this, this had a lot to do with the fact that we were very remote from the start. And instead of then, you know, getting this super fancy office, I said, let's sort of invest this money that we would spend in rent in starting a real estate company. And that's, that's how it started. And was your plan always to purchase multiple homes nearby each other in upstate New York and form a sort of compound? How did that happen? Well, I was 24 when I think I made this first purchase. And when you're 24, you don't really know a lot. So I had extremely grand visions of what this property could be. Um, and I sort of imagined it as a, you know, multiple buildings, photo studio, writing pods, all sorts of creative things, multiple homes so people could feel comfortable staying there and not like on top of each other. Can you describe what actually exists upstate if not exactly your grand vision? Yeah, I mean, I didn't really understand real estate taxes, zoning laws, and all of that kind of stuff. So I had to take a deep dive in all of that stuff and, and become educated on that. And from there, I sort of did what I could with it. And with that, it really just became, you know, very much a, a place to, to create art and photography, video stuff. Because, you know, in New York City, if you go just try and shoot a small video in a park, you have to have a permit. It's a whole process. Right. So we've very much sort of evolved it to be a place where we could produce content easily and, you know, not have to pay for hotel rooms and all of that kind of stuff. What it became was what the land told us it needed to be. So mm. we really just followed what it was and not really my exact vision for it, which, you know, really involved just figuring out ways to treat the land properly. Like what, what can grow here? Because it's an expansive property. So... We looked at that, we looked at the houses that were there and how we could bring back to life what they historically were, because the property had been abandoned for several years. So there was lots of stuff where it's really just a project of bringing back to life what was there. And we're still sort of in that stage of bringing back what it once was, which if we date back hundreds of years, it was uh, a large family estate that eventually divided it up to become a neighborhood, it seems. Mm -hmm. In a lot of ways, we're trying to just bring back that original thing, but making it very sort of open to the people that work at the company, to people that want to rent it through short term and, you know, figuring out ways to grow stuff and take care of the land there. I love that notion of really listening to the land and letting it guide you as you sort of, you know, execute on your vision. Did you go into your first home purchase thinking you'd get a fixer upper? No, I mean, I looked at multiple properties for this and, you know, some were fixer-uppers and some were ready to go. At the end, you know, the fixer-uppers were good because at the time they were, they were really cheap so we could get a great deal and, you know, have some budget left to fix it up. And can you tell me about your first home reno experience? How long did it take versus how long you thought it might take? And what were some of the surprises that happened along the way? You know, it's a journey. It's still sort of being renovated to this day, and we're still trying to figure it out. I mean, we have it to be functional now, but we don't necessarily, it's not necessarily done. Right. Is a home ever done, I guess, is a good question. 
Yeah, when you sell it. (laughs) Right, right. Now that you've purchased a few different homes, what would you say are your house hunting deal breakers? Personally, I'm really sort of opposed to hot markets. Recently relocated permanently to to Florida, and the first sort of instance would be, hey, let's, let's move to Miami. And that was our first impulse. But you look at the Miami market, and it's just it's exploding and it's, it's really hot. So I sort of had to do that same thing of what's the upcoming market opposed to the hot market. And that led me to Tampa, which has a lot of the same things as Miami, but is, is not nearly as hot, but it's also not like a bland market. It's definitely up and coming. Um, Mm. and there's sort of those sort of three distinctions you have to make between, is this a hot market, an up and coming market or a pretty stagnant market? And I really, I really like to look for the upcoming markets. And when you look for those up-and-coming markets, where do you go? Like deep, dark holes of the internet? How does one even discover an up-and-coming market? Well, I mean, it really starts with what you think is interesting and like what really sort of pulls you and your friends. That's how I sort of found the markets. So one might say one of your interests is living in the forest, upstate New York? Well, with the upstate New York property, it was definitely a matter of proximity to the city fast internet coming across, you know, even rural areas that sort of create this sort of hyper-futuristic rural environment that you can live in, Uh, self-driving cars becoming a thing, and the fact that this one county where I found it was one of the sort of only things within 90 minutes of New York City that was still not very developed at all and sort of had this sort of open canvas for us to play with, and that made it really interesting. And there was a lot of people from Brooklyn sort of migrating up there for that sort of same reason of just like, wow, we're sort of priced out of the city and we don't even have the space to do the creative stuff we want to do there now. And that first home is called Clearing Farm. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, Clearing Farm's uh, interconnection of three rental properties nestled between two rivers, the Mongop River and the Delaware River, and spans about 60 acres. There's two proper homes on it that can be lived in a wood shop uh, where we make our furniture that goes in there and we use all the trees from the property, build with that, and then various sort of like spa or wellness centers scattered throughout the property, as well as uh, a farm where we grow hops, which is the main ingredient to make beer. Very cool. Do you also have chickens? I feel like I saw somewhere that you were selling eggs or offering eggs to your guests. Yeah, we have chickens. And the problem with chickens, though, is I can't eat any eggs anymore that aren't fresh. Because oh, it's so different. You've been spoiled by fresh eggs. Was it important to you that the property you invested in, Clearing Farm, had water on the land? I mean, I wasn't that smart at the time to sort of identify that as a core feature. I mean, there's lots of benefits to it uh, that I sort of learned about. But in the beginning, that was just like an aesthetic preference. And some of the other properties I looked at before purchasing that one didn't have water. Right. I ask because I've, I've been fortunate enough to stay at Clearing Farm. And for me, that waterfall is truly breathtaking and such a largely appealing aspect of the property. And it's not just the way it looks, it's the way it sounds, too. Just the sound of running water nearby is incredibly therapeutic, I find. And also, you can play in it. Yeah, the sounds are amazing. And there's lots of yeah wonderful swimming opportunities with it. And it's, it's interesting because the area is called Glen Spay, New York, but one of the translations of that is the Valley of Spas. And it's really supposed to be this idea that it was this 
area in New York, just full of like bubbling brooks and all these interesting water features. And that really is cool because we can sort of bring back that original intention with the property because it does have so much water. I mean, the waterfall spans four acres maybe of just cascading down the hill. I can't help but say it's also very Instagrammable. Was that deliberate from your standpoint, sort of creating this property that is great for pictures? And not just the waterfall, you have all of those tiny, cool cabins dotting the property, and I I see them all over my feed. I feel like we're still working on making it Instagrammable. I mean, there's so much work and there's so much sweat that has to go in just setting up the initial configuration of a lodging. So, so much of it was just how do we make this home and this property function as a short-term rental, as well as a you know creative space to to come to and make stuff. And once we sort of achieved that goal, we could start to move on to figuring out what those Instagrammable spots are really and, and carving those out. And what does make Clearing Farm so appealing to short-term renters? I mean, a lot of times people with short-term rentals, they're just designing a place to make a quick buck. Clearing Farm sort of originated as almost a corporate campus, you know, a place for people to come and work and get out of the city and make stuff. So we started from a different perspective there and, you know, understanding all the zoning rules and all that kind of stuff. We, we couldn't actually make it into that. But that impulse of making it this sort of almost retreat center gives it a very unique feel. And then even with the homes that are on it, I mean, they've been designed in a very creative, artistic way. We do a lot of corporate shoots up there as well, uh, like photo shoots, video shoots. So everything's designed also to work as a set, which makes it really magical. And then on top of that, it's filled with things in the homes that are really relevant to my career and the trajectory of my company. So we have our books that we publish within my main company, Thought Catalog, other books that are relevant and have inspired us throughout it, art from people we've worked with that have been given to us. So there's really just this level of like, you're not in this cold rental. You're at this, this place with a real history. And on top of that, the land has a huge history that we go out of our way to bring forth while you're there. So everything from the newspaper clippings from the 1850s when the original owner died hanged there. Um, he was also an inventor, one of the people that lived there. So we have some of his patents. And then, you know, we found a lot of old um, artifacts from, from the original sort of tourism around the area that we've brought back. So we really listened to the history of it and sort of combined it with, with what we're doing in the present to make it just have a lot of soul. I love that. It really does come through, too. I can attest from personal experience. What would you say, Chris, is the most surprising aspect of managing rental properties? A lot of people think it's going to be a very seamless experience, and you can kind of create a guidebook and put all the information in an email, and people will understand. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, when I go somewhere, I'm, like, really intrigued. I want to know everything about it before I get there. And I kind of thought everyone's like that. I mean, there's so many people that come and they don't even know where they are. And (laughs) there's a lot of like extra work in that, you know, just lots of social interaction, explaining things, even if the answers are quite clear in our documentation. So there's always this level of work that's associated with a short-term rental that I think is sort of forgotten about. We'll be back with more from Chris Laverne after the break.
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to The Better Buy, a podcast from Better Homes and Gardens. Since you have undergone so many different home renovations, I want to talk to you a bit about that process. I have a theory about home renovation math that your expected timelines and budgets will at least double during the process. Would you agree with that? At least double. Yeah. I mean, 100%. And you know, ideally, you don't really want to go into a renovation unless you really want to make it your full-time job and you're really passionate about it. Like with my new home, that's my sort of primary residence, my forever home. I don't want to be involved with it at all. It's just too much work. And particularly with the supply chain issues now, you just want to hire a professional that knows how to do this and trust them to do the work and, you know, make a few suggestions. But it's too much work for, I think, most people. Definitely for me at this stage in my life. But when it came to Clearing Farm, I seem to remember since I was employed by you at the time you were renovating it, that you were very involved in many of the details. Is that true? Yeah, but I was naive. I thought it would go a lot faster. And at the end of the day, I had to do a lot of the work to make sure it got done. You know, it was supposed to take maybe a year. It took four or five years. Are there any aspects of your very first home renovation that you not regret, but made you differently knowing what you know now? Yeah. I mean, I was very focused on design. Design, Mm -hmm. design, design, design. And I really brushed aside all the functional aspects of living. Interesting. And... I think, especially when you're designing a rental property, you do have this tendency of how do I make it look beautiful for the rental aspect of it? And you forget about just what makes a home functional. And then the second thing, and this is only relevant to people that want to start short-term rentals, you really need to think about the hook. Why are people going to stay there? Because good design is probably not enough. So, you know, we have the one of them is like a dog paradise, and then our other one is a beautiful property, but it also has a hot tub right on it and an amazing fire pit. And that's sort of the hook there on top of it being a historical house. So you really got to design with the why of who's going to come and not just say, well, it's a great house and people will come. Since a lot of your properties are designed to generate short-term rental income, I'm curious how you set up a home to be renter friendly. Yeah, there's two types of renter homes. You know, the first are ones that are built on beaches, lakes, in important cities. And those pretty much sell themselves. They're going to be booked during the season 100% of the time. So if you're going in one of those locations, you don't have to do that much except for the the bare minimum because you're really just providing lodging. What Clearing Farm is, is definitely something where it was somewhat of an abandoned land. And we have to, in these type of properties, Joshua Tree would be a similar thing to the Catskills in in New York. And those, you're really trying to carve out the home as the destination itself. And with that, you always need to have a really strong hook. And 
the hooks aren't necessarily what you think they're going to be going in. I thought for our homes that the hook was they're going to be beautifully designed, historical homes. Turns out there's really not that big of a market for it. Mm -hmm. So the house became uh, a pet-friendly house for dogs. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't have a pet, but you sort of just followed the data of, of what people seem to want. And we installed a fence that covers a whole acre so the dogs can run around. And it's our most popular rental. Really? Um, primarily because of, of it being so pet-friendly. I guess pet owners have a harder time renting properties since there are fewer available to them. That's very interesting. Are there any personal touches you add to your places to make them feel more welcoming? We probably go overboard to try and make them welcoming. I mean, all of our stuff, you know, in these homes is really a reflection of my personality, personality of people that I work with. You can go in and it doesn't feel like a rental. And we really take a lot of pride in that. You walk in and you're like, this isn't just some type of short-term rental. This looks like this is a lived-in house. And while they are all rentals, they have this, this personality where sort of every little turn you take, you sort of discover something new. It's almost cinematic. And that's, that's a really sort of fun aspect of it. I don't know if I recommend it for people that are trying to, you know, just make money on their rentals, but definitely gives that special touch and creates memories for the people that visit. And we know how to make a home more, you know, appealing to pet owners, how do you make a home more livable for families rather than just couples? Yeah, for families, it's really about creating memories. And in one of our properties, we just have lots of photographic moments. We have open spaces where people can just sort of explore and feel like they're at home, even though they aren't home and just sort of carve these special memories. So, you know, we have a swing built into a tree that, you know, is just a gorgeous little moment for people to experience and you know we always see on Instagram the the families posting photos of their kids on there and it's just a it's a sweet moment. What is your favorite room in a typical house and why? I love rooms where you move outdoors. It's the best. Um, and I'm always trying to get out of a house when I'm in a house. <laughs> you know, as much as I love it, I'm always sort of moving around. So I love, you know, kitchens that open up to the outdoors. I just love houses with lots of doors and just ways that you move. And it doesn't matter if it's snowing out or a beautiful day. There's just this like wonderful thing of moving from shelter to outdoors. Indoor, outdoor living, I think they call that. It is nice, isn't it? Yeah. And then, of course, just a beautiful office that inspires you is, is really important. Can you describe your personal home aesthetic as you, you know, enter into this phase where you're actually outfitting a home that you will actually live in? Yeah, I started out hyper-minimal, hyper-modern, just ruthlessly modern and ruthlessly minimalist. And over the years, I don't know how it happened, but I've become really interested in traditional design and ornate design and just lots of color and texture. So that was a really interesting evolution that I think 10 years ago, if I told myself that, I, I wouldn't believe, believe myself. What's the first thing you notice when you enter someone else's home? Well, I think I'm always looking for how the home is actually used because so much of what we look at with homes today is how they look in this ideal environment. So when I walk into a space, I'm really like, how, how do people live in this? What is it like when it's full and you know it's a busy day and does it work? Is it functional like that? How quiet are certain spaces if you want to go and read a book or do some work and that kind of stuff? So I'm, I'm always trying to x-ray through the beauty of the home and understand 
you know, what it's like to really live there? Because I think that's the most important question when it comes to home design. What advice would you give to people looking to buy a home either for personal use or as an investment? You know, if you're looking for an investment home, it's very different than a personal home. And I think a lot of people sometimes conflate that, particularly people in major cities that are looking to sort of buy a place outside of the city and sometimes rent it and sometimes live in it. And I I don't know how tenable that really is because there's a lot involved with renting your home out. And I think it's ideal to say this is a rental or this is a your personal home and not conflate the two. What do you think people should know before undergoing a renovation? I mean, there's so many different types of renovations, so it's hard to give particular advice on that. But if it's a large-scale renovation, it's going to – everyone says this, so it's, it's not particularly interesting. But it's going to cost a lot more, and it's going to take a lot more time than you think it's going to take. So be ready for the ride. Be ready to spend, I guess, and for it to take a lot longer than one would think. That's what I always like to remember. If you could give one piece of advice to new homeowners, what would it be? Yeah, it's to be patient, but I don't mean that in a cliche way. To make it more specific, I think your first home is really something you need to think about, not in a two-year time frame, a five-year time frame, but a 10-year time frame at least. For example, the place that we bought recently in Florida I don't necessarily think it's the home, but it might be the home for seven years and then it will eventually lead us to our true home. But so much time we sort of get fixated, particularly first home buyers, on purchasing the perfect spot right away. And it's just, it's too big of a project to do that unless, you know, you have a crazy budget. And most of us don't. So the real thing is to say, all right, maybe maybe if we look at this in five years, we're going to buy this home first, and then we're going to renovate it, and then we'll eventually be able to sell it, and then we'll be able to move into the next home, opposed to just trying to rush it and make it all happen at once, because it's it really doesn't happen like that most of the time. Can you tell me, Chris, where you look to for inspiration when you're building out a property now that you have really built four homes or three and are in the process of your fourth Yeah, I really don't look for inspiration in the usual places. And I I don't even know if I look for inspiration at all. I think, you know, taking a photo you like from Pinterest of a dreamy house or a dreamy living room, it's kind of counterproductive because it's all designed to look gorgeous and, you know, make you feel this amazing way about it. But is it really livable? Is it really functional? Is it really achievable? So I try to stay away from falling into this dreamscape of what could be and really just talking to professionals and people who have owned homes for a long time and really saying like, what works? What went wrong? And really talking about the practical and functional elements of the home more than getting lost in a pin board, which I used to do a lot. Yeah, it's easy to forget that pretty much everything we see on social is incredibly staged and not necessarily very functional. What are some of your favorite money-saving tips when it comes to decorating and building out a home? Yeah, so my money-saving tips are either spend a lot of money or spend no money. So I have furniture in my house that I literally picked up off of the street in New York City and just put in there, like that was being thrown away. And I have stuff that I spent a great deal of money on. The main thing, though, is to either go all out and buy exactly what you want or find a way to use sort of recycled materials in the meantime until you can afford what you want. So if there's a bed you want and it's way out of your budget, just go look on Craigslist, 
grab a bed that maybe someone will give away for free, live with that for a few years, and then eventually buy the perfect bed when you can afford it. But don't try and like go through this middle ground of this might do, because at the end of the day, you know what you really want. And just be patient enough. And, you know, there's plenty of stuff you can use just from, you know, your neighbors on, on all these platforms. Is there anything when it comes to homes that is always worth splurging on? Yeah, I think everything with the home is worth splurging on. You know, it's the most important space, particularly after 2020. I mean, we live in these spaces, we work in these spaces a lot of the time. And if there's any place that you really want to invest money, you know, it might not be a vacation. It might be in making your home feel more like a vacation. So I'm really a proponent of making sure that you save the right amount of money to invest in the home. Great. All right. So most underrated home tip. I think big homes are the enemy of good design. I've never really walked into a McMansion and said, wow, everything's so beautiful here because there's so much space that needs to be filled that it can't always be designed properly because you need such big furniture, so much stuff. So I think looking at smaller homes and seeing them as actually much more beautiful is a really good way to, to approach things. Bedrooms don't need to be 300 square feet. They can be 120 square feet and be perfectly fine for most purposes. So definitely being open to the fact that, that small homes are typically more beautiful. And I think even the most expensive homes I've ever been in have, have often been on the smaller side. They're not these, these large homes. Most of them just sort of feel like tombs to me. Yeah, space can be overrated. What does home mean to you in a single feeling? Yeah, home, home is the space that brings you to your best self. Spacious lawn or large basement? Spacious lawn. I mean, open expanses of land are the best. Super high ceilings or lots of natural light? I think the high ceilings because most of the time when I'm in a room with a lot of natural light, I have to pull the blinds down at some point. So I'd rather have the ceilings. Living near loved ones or close to work? Well, work is home now, so living close to loved ones because <laughs> I'm always at work. Neighbors or privacy? Mm. Well, privacy, but you can't really live in a home without neighbors. So no matter how much privacy you have, your neighbors are going to bleed in somehow. Bowls or plates? <laughs> <laughs> I have a theory that bowls are the new plates. You know, that makes a lot of sense now that you say that. So bowls, yeah, I don't need a plate. Right? Dinner plates are way overrated. Thank you so much for being here today, Chris. It's been a lot of fun, I have to say. Yeah, it's always fun talking. Always. Always. You've been listening to The Better Buy from Better Homes and Gardens. Make sure to follow The Better Buy wherever you listen to podcasts. We'd love your feedback, so please rate this podcast and leave us a review. You can also find us online at bhg.com slash thebetterbypodcast. 